Welcome to the Light Bears Institute podcast, where we seek to improve biblical literacy by discussing key storylines and themes in Scripture. Well, welcome back to the Light Bears podcast. Uh, my name is Bethany Porter. I'm over the women's discipleship here in Fayetteville. I'm here with Andrew, Andrew Brill. Uh, he is our discipleship director, um, and he lives in Fayetteville as well. Um, he just spoke on John. Um, how about you just start us off by saying just personally what's been impactful for you as you've studied John uh, to get ready for Institute? Yeah, you know, um, this is John's a book that uh, that I've looked at at various points over the years, and 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 honestly, I, I mean, I liked it. But in the process of re-looking at this book this time, I just kind of realized some different spots throughout the book that at various points in my life had just been real meaningful to me. And some of those may come up. I mean, I I, kind of, that's what you get to do when you teach is you get to be like, hey, and I'm going to talk about this because I like this piece of it. And so I I pointed out some of those as I taught just because, again, they've been personal to me. And so um, individuals like Nicodemus and... Peter, just different moments from mm-hmm. the book of John that have been impactful to me over the years. And um, I don't think this is maybe a surprise to some people. But I'm actually um, leaving libraries to take a job with my church uh, at the end of the semester. And so part of that was just a sweet kindness from the Lord to get to have my last on staff teaching with light bearers. Um, I can come back and volunteer teach, but my last on staff teaching with light bearers mm-hmm. be something that was just real sweet. Um, yeah. and, and something that had been personal to me over the years. So that was, that was really a gift. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that too, just as I've, you know, I've only taught twice, but it's that much more personal when you're actually having to teach it. Cause we've put hours into it. Yeah. I mean, the students are just kind of hearing you word vomit things that you've learned, hopefully pretty organized, but um, I think it's been really organized impact- vomit. And organized vomit. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty impactful for me too. So I'll just start off with, I mean, you had mentioned at Institute that John's actually pretty different than the other gospels. Um, what are some ways that you would say that John is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Yeah, the the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and, and we talked about this in an earlier podcast, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. That word synoptic means uh, seeing together. And so uh, in essence, they are looking at the same events in Jesus's life and describing them. They see them together. And it's a wonderful thing to see how they, um, they use their own um, God-given perspectives to shine light on different elements of the same stories. Uh, but what you have there is you have those three, and then probably 20, 30, 40 years later, probably not 40, but 20, 30 years later, the, the Apostle John writes this book, and um, the way the early church fathers described it is they said uh, basically that the facts of Jesus's life had been made plain. And so John set out to write a spiritual gospel or an interpretive mm-hmm. gospel. And so the way I would describe it is Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very heavy on the on the what, mm-hmm. what Jesus did, uh, what miracles he did, what teaching he had, those sorts of things. John is much, much more about the why. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did Jesus do these things? And so John's going to emphasize things like Jesus's relationship with the Father, specifically that the Father has sent him. And so this mm-hmm. concept of being sent is really big mm-hmm. within John. I mean, obviously, that's true in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but that's not the story that we hear. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're going to hear you know, things like the Sermon on the Mount, or the healing of Jair- Jairus's daughter, or um, the sending out of the disciples. So you're, you're going to see much more of the facts. John is much more of the why. And so there's 
the 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 in a sense the teachings are more like discourses mm-hmm. than they are sermons and uh you see more conflict uh in some ways and i think that has to do with the fact of jesus breaking into a world and, and in a sense of light versus darkness mm-hmm. and so you know again when you're looking at questions of why you're going to give some of that background so i think that that goes into some of it mm-hmm. now i want to be really clear and say the major i mean the arc of the story is the same and so yeah. you know in matthew mark luke and john and all of them jesus comes from obscurity provides incredible teaching mm-hmm. performs miracles gains popularity and then at some point in a sense the crowd turns on him mm-hmm. uh and wants more of him or wants different things of him and turn him over to the authorities the authorities uh try him in a mock trial they um they execute him and he rises they execute him all of his followers turn against him or or abandon him mm-hmm. and then he rises from the dead that storyline is exactly the same but about um 90% of John only appears in John because mm. he's he's telling different moments from the story for a specific purpose. Mm. Yeah, I I just even hearing you say that it reminds me of uh that John was referred to the disciple whom Jesus loved mm-hmm. and there's there is that sense in the gospel of being a very tender gospel coming from a guy that I mean we don't know his exact personality but there does seem to be Peter was kind of this brash kind of arrogant but powerful strong man whereas John seems to be a little bit more behind the scenes but he was one of the the closest three yeah um so that's been impactful for me even just hearing you teach of man this was a guy that Jesus deeply loved and he and this is his perspective of of even at the end when he shares okay my my purpose was to show you that Jesus is is the Christ and all these miracles and signs are pointing to him right and um, and and John's doing this you know 40, 50, maybe 60 years after. And so you see a guy who knew Jesus really well, who's now reflecting back on a lifetime of God's faithfulness to him. He had three years with Jesus, mm-hmm. but he's had multiple decades with the Spirit, but not with Jesus present. Mm-hmm. And so he is reflecting back on that time. What has lasted? And he wants to share that. Yeah. Um, another thing, you know, just even thinking through, okay, how is this different than the other gospels? The other gospels start with like Matthew starts off with the genealogies. You've got the others starting off with more of the birth of Christ, but John really seems to start off with, or he does start off with, um, going back to creation. Um, why do you think he did that? What was his purpose behind setting the stage in that way for his book? He starts out with, in the beginning was the word. And even just that phrase, in the beginning, it's the same phrase from Genesis 1. And so it triggers the reader now and then to put what is happening here in his writing. Mm-hmm. So put the life of Jesus on par and in relationship with creation itself. And if you think about what creation was, mm-hmm. uh, creation was God um, uh, basically taking nothingness and making something out of it. So entering into darkness with light. And what is Jesus doing with his life? He is entering into a space uh, and bringing light where there was darkness, bringing mm-hmm. order where there was chaos. And mm-hmm. so, um, so, you know, 
he is doing on a spiritual level what was done on a physical level. Mm-hmm. And, and at the same time, John is also exalting Jesus in saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so, um, and, and as John 1 fleshes out, when he says the Word, he is talking about Jesus himself, the Word being the expression of, of God, the the mm-hmm. representation of God that is um, impossible to uh, split from God Himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus is the Word, and the Word was God. So He's exalting Jesus and saying, um, "This man, this uh, this guy who walked around on dusty roads and ate food and interacted with people and had conversation, all of these things, mm-hmm. this guy." was God himself. He was at creation. He was the creator. And so he's simultaneously putting Jesus uh, in parallel to creation and exalting him to to the place of God himself mm-hmm. as he is. And and those themes are going to flush out throughout the, the book. Yeah. And it's interesting to think too, just how you're saying, okay, it's a light that shines in the darkness. So I mean, the darkness that these people would have been experiencing, I mean, and that we experience too, is just relational um, strife, political strife. I mean, just the fallenness of the world. Um, and John seems to really walk through a lot of those different ways that Jesus approached people and gave light to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, one of those would have been relationships. Mm-hmm. And you you touched on that at Institute of, okay, how does Jesus deal with relationships and speak to the individual? What would you say are some things that you saw in John from that? Yeah. Um, you know, as I as I prepped John, just just these series of relationships. Um, it's such a relational book, um, but not simply human to human relationships, but also um, Jesus relating to his Father, and and, um, and then he's going to send the Spirit. So there's lots of different things in there, but um, relationships with people is just fascinating to me because John has such um, lengthy interactions with single individuals. If you think of the other Gospels, there's not really a lot of moments where Jesus sits with one, I mean, I, this is me off the top of my head, which is probably not the best way to think about this, but I can't think of a moment where Jesus sits with one person mm-hmm. and talks with them for a long time in Matthew or Mark or Luke. Now, he certainly has moments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mentioned uh, Jarius or or the the, the bleeding woman. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's there's lots of moments, individual healings, all those sorts of things but they're not really extended. It's, you know, seven verses here, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when he's teaching, he's teaching to a crowd or to the disciples. In John, what you have is multiple moments where it is an extended conversation with one. Which is so hard for us in our Western society because everything is one, you know. Right. Jesus is about me. Yeah. It's not what it's about, but yeah. we we start to view it like that. And so I think that's a great challenge for yeah. us of actually a lot of the Gospels is all about a yeah. group of people. yeah. yeah. And at the end, it'll be a group of people yeah. worshiping him, yeah. not just me. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great point. Uh, and and yet, in the midst of that, there is this. Okay, it's not about me. And yet, how does Jesus interact mm-hmm. with individual people? He he is wonderfully both. He is the one who redeems a people for himself and mm-hmm. speaks to. Uh, the collective body of Christ and calls us a body that is, mm-hmm. you know, we can't be removed from each other. And yet he also deals with individuals. And so in John three and four in particular, those are kind of my, I mean, it's lots of places. John two, he talks with his mother for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, but really John three and four are, the, are, you know, 
my favorites in a sense. Um, John three talks to Nicodemus and John four, he talks to um, an unnamed woman from Samaria. And, and, and really those two, they're fascinating because they are total opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nicodemus in John three is, uh, he's a teacher of the law. So uh, he is presumably wealthy. He is definitely well-respected. He is morally upright. Mm -hmm. um, he's a man. He is um, in the center of Jewish society. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he's making it in a mm -hmm. sense. And then you go one chapter over and it's John 4. You have a Samaritan woman. Okay, so you have a, a woman, not a man. You have, she's in Samaria, so she's on the fringes of Israelite society. They are looked down upon. They, um, you know, these are the people that are basically been resettled after the captivity and have intermarried with other nations. And so they adhere to a portion of the Old Testament, but mm -hmm. not the whole thing, you know. And so religiously, she's on the fringes. Morally, she's, you know, at best on the fringes. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's identified as someone who's had multiple husbands, which mm -hmm. means, you know, either or both of she's made some sinful choices in, in her life and she's also been the victim of of mm -hmm. sin against her in a in a society that doesn't yeah. care for or value her you know she is the opposite of the of Nicodemus you know and i think of um the parable of what's called the prodigal son in Luke 15 Jesus talks about two sons we call it the prodigal mm -hmm. son um but it's really about two sons one son runs away and wastes his inheritance on reckless living the other son stays mm -hmm and tries to earn the father's favor by doing the right things. That's Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. Mm, Samaritan yeah. woman has run away and is, is in a sense, gone from mm -hmm. respectable society. Nicodemus has stayed and tried to earn God's favor through his actions and through society's approval. And what Jesus says to both of them, I mean, it's just fascinating. He deals with people on both ends of the spectrum. And in essence, he says, you're not even on the right road. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, sure, some people might look at the two of them and say Nicodemus is farther down the road than the Samaritan woman. Jesus says, you're not even on the right road. He tells Nicodemus, you got to be born again. Mm -hmm. um, you have to go back to the very starting point and start all the way over and start in a different way. And the Samaritan woman, he doesn't use born again language. He uses language of living water. But it's the same concept of like, mm -hmm. sure, you can keep going down the road you're on. This doesn't, this doesn't lead you anywhere. Yeah. anywhere good. And, and so I think that is that, that contradiction is fascinating, but also just watching the way he interacts with the two of them. He is, um, engaging without being, uh, people pleasing. Mm, he yeah. is, uh, confronting without being accusatory. Like mm -hmm, it's just, mm -hmm. it's fascinating how he walks down that road. And mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I want, I wanted our students and I want myself to to consider that about Jesus, that, you know, Jesus is someone who will ask you questions and make you think. He is someone who uh, is not impressed with what you bring to the table. Mm -hmm. I think that's significant. Yeah. Um, he's someone who's not in, uh, embarrassed by what you bring to the table, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the both end. And I think, yeah. you know, some of us may relate more to Nicodemus. Some of us mm -hmm. may relate more to the Samaritan woman. Um, Jesus is the same to both. Yeah, it's, I mean, with our interns, we'd gone over <laughs> Prodigal God by Tim Keller, which is a great book, but just parallel to that. Book plug. Yeah, <laughs> if you want to buy it, buy it. Um, but parallel to that, I mean, the 
with the older brother and the younger brother, like you were talking about with the prodigal son, um, parallel to Nicodemus and woman at the well. I mean, we asked the group of, okay, which one do you relate to the most? And both, I mean, they were both mm-hmm. ends of the spectrum and it really was, but what you do is you, you follow Jesus. You don't compare your, your sin struggles right. or there's not a hierarchy of sin struggles of pride versus rebellion. Or, I mean, both of those are kind of rooted in, in just a re- rebellion against yeah. the Lord. But um, that was really interesting to see and to realize that we're all on equal playing fields mm-hmm. as, as far as it comes to the grace of, of the Lord and his pursuit of us. Either way, mm-hmm. it's, he's the one pursuing and he does... I mean, he does it so beautifully with both Nicodemus and the woman at the, at the well of, with gentleness, but also with kind of harsh cor- correction when he needed to. Um, and the discernment that he has that I've realized I have to have with people as I rely on the Holy Spirit to, to give me that, I think mm-hmm. is really powerful that not everybody um, will react the same to similar questions or prodding. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had that incredible ability to do that yeah. just because he's all-knowing, yeah. so. Let me camp it. Can I camp out on those for just a second? Yeah. Um, John, so Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of my favorite people in all the Bible. Um, I toyed with the idea of naming a child Nicodemus, but <laughs> Nick. it, it doesn't, didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, you never know, guys. Um, <laughs> not saying we're pregnant. <laughs> this I'm is not, an announcement. I'm not, I'm not announcing that on air, guys. Um, anyways, uh, Nicodemus, it's fascinating because he's one of the few people that you get to watch his progression of faith. So John three, he shows up kind of by night. It's kind of like, Hey, I'm curious about what you're doing, Jesus, but don't think of me as committing in any sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm investigating this on, on my terms. A few chapters later, I think it's John eight. It's seven, eight, nine. Some it's in there. Um, The, some of the teachers of the law are trying to condemn him. And it says Nicodemus stood up and said, Hey, what's the value of condemning him? Let's just mm-hmm. kind of let this play out. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like this uh, gentle defense. He's not mm-hmm. advocating for Jesus, but mm-hmm. he's saying, "Hey, let's let's hold the hor- hold the horses a little bit yeah. on on condemnation." Okay? And then you get to John uh, John nineteen at the crucifixion, uh-huh. and all of the disciples have abandoned Jesus. Who's getting Jesus down from the cross and burying him? It's Nicodemus hmm, and, yeah. and Joseph of Arimathea. And so, I mean, at that point, he's, I mean, presumably risking his position in society. Mm-hmm. He's, I mean, you watch this guy grow in commitment and dedication mm-hmm. to the point that he's all in. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, I think for people like myself who are analytical and investigating, mm-hmm. like we can, we can camp out in John three for a while. Yeah. Personal, like that, that lifestyle of yeah. I'm investigating but I'm not committing. Mm -hmm. And with Nicodemus, you watch a guy move forward and there is a progression. And Mm -hmm. and by the end, he's all in. And Mm -hmm. so he is just a guy that has always fascinated me and challenged me because of that progression. Yeah. Um, It's too easy to sit in the lifestyle of John three and say, Hey, I'm here to ask Jesus questions. Yeah. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to investigate the faith. That's what I'm going to do. And it's going to stop there. And I'll, the next day I'll come back and I'll ask more questions. Nicodemus Mm -hmm. didn't stay there. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's Nicodemus. Samaritan woman is fascinating to me, and and this is because we were we were researching um, as a staff. I mean, Bethany, you know, as we were talking about Gen Z, and and so I think that's a story that resonates with us culturally, um, specifically college students today. But I would argue all of us really, mm-hmm. because the Samaritan woman is a woman who, in some ways, represents what all of us are, which is 
we badly want to be known and we simultaneously fear being known. Mm-hmm. Um, what the, the beautiful thing that Jesus does for her is he basically says, I know you. Mm-hmm. I see you all the way to the bottom. I've, I see every wrong choice you've ever made. And I still came and chose to sit with you and to break social norms, cultural norms, to go mm-hmm. out of my way to do that because I see you to the bottom and, and, I'm, and I love you mm-hmm. anyway. And I think that for a lot of us, that is, that's a message that we desperately yeah. need because we want to be known. But we have this fear that once we're known, we're no longer going to be accepted. Yeah. And so we fear being known. Mm -hmm. And the Samaritan woman, without asking for it, was known. She was just doing her thing. I mean, living her life. And Jesus said, whether you hide it or not, I already know you. I mean, imagine the fear that could have popped up for her in that Mm -hmm. moment of, I'm known. Yeah. Uh, And instead, he says, I know you and I accept you. Uh, And that is just... Not and, and now I want to be cautious there. It's not I accept you, therefore live the same way you always have. It was I know you, I accept you. And she mm-hmm. she circles back to her community and says, This man knows everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Brings others in. I mean, mm-hmm. the implication is she's a Christ follower mm-hmm. from from then on. And so it it radically transforms her. So mm-hmm. he accepts her and and that acceptance compels her to to change life. Yeah, it's it's a, a being a fully known and fully accepted that doesn't paralyze her in her right. vulnerability. I think sometimes, yeah. like you're kind of making this point, but we can share all of our junk with each other or even be called out on mm-hmm. things. And it there's this moment of tension of, is this going to keep me where I'm at because I'm ashamed and I'm going to kind of revel in my woundedness? Or am I, am I going to allow the Holy Spirit to change me and, and keep moving on right. um, and tell others about what Christ has done for me? And I think the woman at the well is such a great example of that because she goes, tells her community and says, look, this is a man who told me everything that I've ever done. And basically she's saying, and still accepts me. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's be followers of Christ. Right. And I mean, that's, in, that's incredible, I think, just for me as an individual, for our, for our students. I saw them really resonate with that when you spoke on Women at the Well, because um, I think our culture is so staged right now for that of, hey, let's know ourselves. Mm-hmm. Let's take the Enneagram. Let's take a million personality tests, which is awesome. But I think we kind of get stuck in that, and I think Jesus calls us to but we don't have to stay that way. We can right. get better with him. Um, and for me, that's really encouraging because I can kind of be more analytical and stay in things, kind of like Nicodemus. Yeah. I would stay at, at the John 3 instead of continuing to progress like you were yeah. talking about. So it's Yeah, and really for good. both of them, what starts individual then eventually impacts yeah. their community. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we look at that with our faith. We say— yeah. Hey, it's going to start individual, but it never it never ends individual. Yeah, you know. So. Yeah, um, it was interesting because at the end of Institute, you mentioned John twenty one, yep. um, and that's been a, a big passage for me as well. Of just you actually taught on it the week I, before. I yeah, heard. I had so, I had mentioned it. Sorry, students, a little redundant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully, they were listening. Um, but yeah, just just the idea of you know Peter saying to Jesus, "Hey." Or, or Jesus saying to Peter, do you love me? And Peter mm-hmm. three times says, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. And each time Jesus says, okay, well then feed feed my sheep. And then he actually predicts to 
predicts and says to him, you're going to die a pretty painful death for me, for my name. And the first thing that Peter does is he looks behind him to whoever's following him, which we think it's John because it says the, the disciple whom Jesus loved and says, well, what about that guy? Um, and Jesus just says, don't worry about him, just follow me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been such a key scripture for me just over the last couple months slash years of not getting caught up in the, in the comparison game of, okay, but you know, why are they suffering this way and I'm not, or why am I suffering this way Mm -hmm. and they're not, or why am I struggling with this and and not strong in this way? Or why am I gifted this way and not in that way? Um, it's such Mm -hmm. um, an intense, um, and paralyzing struggle to have that, that Peter is obviously really struggling through as well. But share with us just a little bit of you know why that's been impactful for you, how you see that play out personally in your life. Yeah. Um, I mean, really along the lines of what you said, that I think we live in, in a world of, um, and in, in a Christian world, I mean, those among us who are believers, we live in a world of extreme comparison. Mm-hmm. And we want the things that others have that sound mm-hmm. good. And we don't want the things that others have that sound bad. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's probably inherent in sin nature a little bit mm-hmm. uh, to, to look around and say, what do I, ex- what do I get to expect? Mm-hmm. You know, what are my rights in a sense? Uh, so if I look around and most believers I know uh, have middle-class incomes then without really trying, I grow up with an expectation mm-hmm. of, yeah, I mean, if I follow Jesus, I could, I mean, I'm probably going to have a middle-class income. No, we, we wouldn't say that out loud, but we just kind of start to think that way. Yeah. And there's, there's no guarantee of that. Or, you know, we might look around and say, wow, the serious Christians, they move, they move to Africa and are missionaries. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yes, some of them do, but yeah. they're no super Christians. Yeah. I mean, the call on their life is no greater than the call on your life. And yeah. so, you know, I mean, I don't want people to live in a defeatist mentality of mm-hmm. I'm just a lousy Christian. I'm not in Africa. Yeah. Or I'm off the hook of doing serious things because I'm not in Africa. <laughs> you should live for Jesus here. Mm-hmm. <coughs> <coughs> I think we should keep it in. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just that sense of comparison. Um, but you mentioned sin struggles. I think that's a big piece uh-huh. of it. Um, and it's in the letters of Paul as well. I mean, Paul talks about uh, food sacrifice to idols. And there's kind of the sense of like, Hey, if it's a big deal for your conscience, don't mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas it's okay for others and you yeah. you can't judge them for it. Or, you know, the, the first Corinthians language about the gifts of the body, there's, mm-hmm. you know, this language of like, Hey, some gifts, they don't have as much glory Yeah, and we need to pay extra attention to them. But it's yeah. like, oh, I don't really want one of those gifts, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it's it because he knows. Yeah. In the Corinthian church in the first century, which was written before John was written, they were dealing with comparison. They were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of Apollos. They were comparing apostles. Mm -hmm. They were comparing gifts. I mean, they were comparing spiritual experiences. I mean, it's just, it's -hmm. it's been going on all along. And it goes on in my life as well to say, Mm -hmm. what can I expect? Uh, You know how am I doing in my faith? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to judge that based on those around me. Yeah. And on some level, Jesus looks at all of that, I think, and says, you follow me. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a poem that is out there that I don't have by memory, except for the, the one repeated line, which is 
Others may, you cannot. Mm. And it's just yeah. this refrain that says, you don't judge what you get to do as a believer or what you're called to do as a believer by other believers. Mm. You do it based on what Jesus calls you to. And you mm-hmm. learn that in community and you submit to the authority of believers mm-hmm. who are over you and, and listen to the counsel of those who are around you, but you don't judge mm-hmm. by, um, by comparing to yeah. others. And so that's just, that's, I mean, in a sense that's been really uh, challenging to me over the years because it, it never allows me to get comfortable in my faith. Yeah, It never allows me to say, okay, this is what life is going to look like. I think in following Jesus, you don't get to say that. You don't mm-hmm. get to say, this is what I think life is going to look like. Yeah. Jesus, I mean, when you sign your life to Jesus, mm-hmm. you're saying, hey, I trust you more than my ability to write my own story, which means I have to open my hand a little mm-hmm. bit, not clinch my own life. And Jesus gets to write the story. Mm-hmm. And so you never get to say, this is what it's going to look like. Yeah. That's what Peter's dealing with, I think. Yeah. I think the fear piece that it gives us safety and, and calm in is, I mean, this has been a big thing for, for me recently. And I think just for our staff of watching people that we really love go through some really tough things that for me, there's been a little bit of, Oh, like what's next? You know, what will happen to me? What will happen to mm-hmm. my family? And um, I think with that, there's been a piece though of, I can trust God for the allotment that he has given mm-hmm. me. I mean, I can plan all I want, but I'm actually not in control at all. He's right. the one that will direct my steps. Um, so there's just as much purpose for the person that that's suffering and whatever's happening in their life, whether it's physical or losing somebody or, um, I don't know, some sort of mental health problem. All of that is purposely allotted by Jesus for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever is happening in my life is allotted for me. Mm-hmm. And just the peace that that has given me of... Okay, we're you know we're going on a trip soon. We can trust God with yep. the allotment that He will give us. Of we're actually not in control here more than we would be overseas, and we can trust the allotment that He's going to give us because He just asks me to follow Him faithfully, which yeah. is really hard to do. Yeah, but there there is a deep peace I think yeah. that comes with that 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 God is very gracious to give us. Yeah. So, and we're kind of like, hey. I'd feel better walking through it if I knew that this person was walking through it with me. And yeah. that's essentially what Peter's saying is yeah. I'd feel better if I knew John was had to deal with the same thing. Yeah. And the reality is John does kind of have to go with this. I mean, John lives in exile. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. it's not like he's an easy road, but Jesus doesn't tell Peter that. Yeah. Because that's not where Peter's comfort needs to come from. It needs to come from the trust that Jesus mm-hmm. is going to be with him and going to take care yeah. of him. And even, even just the detail that God sovereignly um, meets us with and that he would know exactly, okay, I'm going to have these two people suffer at the same time with similar issues. I've seen that happen a lot. Mm-hmm. But then also where that doesn't happen, where one pe- person seems to be very lonely in their suffering, that he actually also has a plan for that, and, and yeah. we can trust that. So so I'm super thankful that that yeah. story was recorded by John. Yes, me too. Um, cool. Well, thank you, Andrew. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Light Bears Institute podcast, a production of Light Bears Ministries. For more information, visit lightbears.com. Mm-hmm.